Your breath hangs in the frozen air of the blind as you begin to watch deer appear as if by magic in the late January setting sun. Your season hangs in the balance on this last tag of the season in your pocket. You've yet to even draw your bow back this year after having target bucks poached, harvested by your neighbor, or simply disappearing. But your hopes were spiked as your reveal cameras told you that one was still around. Deer begin to flood the field. You've waited days for everything to be perfect, knowing you have one shot at punching your last tag. Suddenly, as you glass the surrounding edges, you spot him, hanging in the back, surveying the field and the action in front of you. everybody welcome to the hoyt bow hunting podcast i'm your host danny ferris with my sidekick evan williams with me today and uh today we have adam hayes back on the show how are you how are you doing adam it's been a while brother pretty good man how are you guys doing doing good i was awesome. uh i was thinking about our last uh podcast when we had you on and dude that doesn't seem like that long ago but it was how long actually, has it been it was november of 2020 yeah. Jeez. Time flies when you're having fun. Can you believe that? That's that's nuts, man. And uh crazy. You know, the last time that we had you on here, you know, you are a uh uh an expert when it comes to the moon and the moon phases. And we talked about that, and you talked about the red moon a lot, and just so happens you what did you take your 13th buck over 170 or something like that? 12th. 12th buck over 170. Yep. 12th buck over 170. That's a dozen bucks over 170. And you took them during the red moon. Tell us about what happened. Man, it was a uh, <laughs> season did not start off the way I had planned. I mean, it's always a strategic nightmare, you know, trying to figure out, these big deer, especially when you're hunting multiple states. And I thought I had a pretty good game plan going into the season for, you know, Ohio, Illinois, Kansas, and um, Alberta. Had a big deer at home I've been watching for three years. Um, that was finally, you know, six and a half. So he was on the on the shot list. Um, I had a 190-inch deer in Kansas. Had bunch of camera pictures of over the summer was looking forward to getting out there and then uh just a world-class eight 190 inch eight point with a big drop in illinois i was gonna hunt and i was gonna start the season off in alberta you know i've been hunting up there the last couple of years we had some really good deer on camera to get up after there but just nothing nothing went right my uh buck here at home got poached early Oh, the God. buck in Kansas disappeared as soon as season opened. Never saw him again until January. Did he? Um, did the one at home literally get poached? Did yeah. somebody get busted for poaching? Yeah, yeah he got poached. Oh. Yeah. And then I did get out to Illinois the first two weeks of season out there and had that big eight with the drop at 60 yards the first or second night of my hunt, but I just lost camera light and let him walk. And never saw him again. Oh man! And, I mean, said, like, mm. and, and we actually were waiting for a couple of big deer in Canada to show up that never did. So I never even went to Canada. 
So, I mean, it was like anything that could have went wrong did. And by, you know, mid to late October, I didn't know what I was going to do, you know, for <laughs> basically four deer I was after just either vanished or got poached. And I just happened to be checking cameras on my way out of Illinois before I came home. I want to say it was the third or fourth week of October and this big deer that we knew of the last few years um, wasn't living on the farm, but uh, we'd had a shed off of that deer and, you know, had seen him occasionally. He showed up right on the red moon in October in daylight, bigger yeah. than ever. Just for the guys that might not have caught that last podcast, you know, uh, tell us about the red moon again and the, the significance, the importance and, and your experience with it. Yes. I mean, I've been following that for almost 30 years now. And, you know, the red moon is it's not based on the phase of the moon. It's based on the position of the moon in the sky. It's all about the gravitational pull, you know. Every day you've got two peak periods when the moon is going to be closer than any other time during the day, has the most gravitational pull. Same thing that triggers the tides to come in and out. Uh The key to the moon guide is you only have a handful of days each month where those times hit right at prime time. And that's your red moon. So that's, yeah, that's what I've been following forever and have had a really good success with it. That's what the, the moon guide's all about. You know, that, you know, Fishermen have been following it forever, you know, because like I said, it triggers the tides and you can't tell me that something strong enough to, you know, move the largest mass on our planet doesn't affect animals and fish. It does. It's got to, we probably don't even begin to understand the significance of that, but that's what I'm talking about as far as the red moon goes. It's a handful of days where that peak gravitational pull it's right at prime time when deer want to move anyway. It's just an extra added instinctive push to get them up. You know, just like they can feel barometric pressure. They can feel that gravitational pull. And it's it's when it's usually directly overhead or directly underfoot, correct? Yeah, yeah. overhead or underfoot, straight up or straight down. Yep. So okay. when a guy is planning this out and wants to make sure that he's out there during those times, he needs to visit a moon chart and see where that directly overhead or directly underfoot coincides with like the last hour of the day or the first hour of the day. Yep. It's all spelled out in the, uh, the moon guide app and, you know, weather affects animals, you know, pressure affects animals, the moon affects animals. But when you're talking about that gravitational pull, that's really the only thing that you can predict months Mm -hmm. or even years in advance. You know, for a guy that's got one week of vacation a year or he's got that guided hunt he's been planning, saving up for for a couple of years, and you've got to book that months or a year in advance, you really need to be taking a a look at that because you don't know what the weather's going to be doing. You never know what the rut's going to be doing, but you know what the moon's going to be doing. So why not take that into consideration like everything else? I mean, there's lots of factors that increase activity when it comes to animals especially mature deer and i swear by you know the moon being one of the most important ones so it's the only thing you can look at that far out in advance to help you plan the best time to take that trip right well and and you probably said this on the last podcast but how many of your now a dozen uh bucks over 170 that you've taken and by gosh, that's way, that's about 11 more than me. So I'm going to listen to every word that you say. Um, but 
uh, how many of your dozen that you've taken of that caliber have come during the red moon? I think all but three. All but three. Yeah. My last big one here at home in Ohio was not on the red moon. You know, when, when a big deer shows up making a mistake during daylight, you got to dive in and kill them. And the last big one I killed here at home, you know, it was like two days before I was heading to Alberta, showed up just out of the blue in, you know, in a corner of a bean field right in front of the camera and had good wind for it and dove in the next day and killed him. And it wasn't even near a red moon. So, I mean, it's not a hundred percent, but nothing is. Well, there's other factors yeah. that cause them to mess oh, yeah. up too. Yeah. Like you, like you said, there's, did he get pressure on a neighbor's farm that got him bumped and looking, you know, just move that corn area or did one of those sweet smelling split tails run in right in front of him? You, there's, there's, that's, that's the number one that gets them in trouble, but yep. there's lots of other factors that go in for sure. But uh, yeah. if all but three of yours were taken on that red moon, it's, there's definitely something to that. It seems like. Oh yeah, for sure. So tell us a little bit more about now. First off, your your that other buck in Illinois that you're talking about was a hundred and ninety inch eight point with a drop time. How I mean that that I can't even wrap my head around that. Um, was yeah. it a was it a huge drop on him that added a dozen inches or something like that? Oh, you know, it was um I'd say it was an eight to ten inch drop, but yeah. this deer, this deer just had an enormous Typical frame. I'll scroll through my pictures here real quick, see if I can't find a picture of it real quick to show you. But um, I'd actually passed that deer up a few times the previous year, and he was, uh, you know, a mid-40s, maybe 50-inch deer. Just you could tell he had a bunch of potential, and then he just he just absolutely blew up. Yeah, gosh, on, that's hard. Put on 30, 40 inches on you? Yeah. That's hard to imagine. Yeah, which is a lot, but I mean, if you think about it, you know, Donnie, uh, Donnie Monroe from Team 200 shot a big deer that grew 80 inches in one season. So it's that, not. That's how big that deer did on him? Yeah, 80 he inches. Two, what, 228, 227? Yeah, it was knocking on the 230. Oh, God. What state was that in? That was in Kansas. Holy Moses. Yeah. That's his, that's his second one. Because his, yeah. his first one was 17, 2018. I couldn't tell you right off the top of my head. Well, don't worry about finding the picture too bad. Our viewers don't get to see it anyhow because we don't have the video on there. But uh, oh. you post one on your Instagram. We'll tell them how to get to the Instagram so they can take a look yeah. at it if they really want to. Um, <laughs> but that's that's that is a heartbreaker. I mean, I've got kind of a soft spot for big eights and I can't, like I said, I can't even imagine one that you think would hit 190, whether he's, you know, even with an eight inch drop, that's 180 inch, 180 inch eight point. That's hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. It's a world-class animal and we don't know that that deer got killed. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that he shows back up even bigger this year. Yeah. Oh right. Gosh. I can't even. Well, and you definitely take the time to put in food plots and make sure they have what they need. So. Yeah. The only thing is out there, we're surrounded by outfitters. So they do take their, take their share of them. But like I said, we, we know everybody that hunts right there in that area and we would have known if somebody killed it. So. Well, maybe he shows up again this next year. So this, this other buck, you had three years of experience with him and, and uh, had you, had, had you actually passed him 
in the last couple of years or? No, no. I knew about the deer for three years. We had one shed off the deer from three years ago. You know, we figured he was six or seven years old and it was not a deer living on the farm. You know, we'd get an occasional picture of him, you know, once or twice a season, you know, knew he was coming from a different area and just, you know, would cruise through in the rut, checking does, you know, get that occasional trail camera picture, but just not a deer on the radar because, you know, he just was never there, you know, never showed up with any consistency, but he was a giant buck. And like I said, he showed up daylight um, on the red moon there, the, let's say it was the third week of October. And, you know, it's quite a, quite a surprise to see him and to see how big he was, but it really wasn't, um, it wasn't a, aha, we finally got one, you know, cause I knew from history that deer was, might not ever even show back up on the farm in season. Right. He was just, he was just on his October cruise. Yep. Taking a cruise. How, how far from the neighbors was your camera where you got him? Was it, was it close or was it far enough in that? I mean, he was, he was out moving. It wasn't just slightly outside of a home range. Oh no. He was within a couple hundred yards of the, the neighbor's property. Gotcha. But you know, we had, we had a food plot in there. We had some standing soybeans in there. So, you know, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, you know, late season, if he's around, you know, we're usually the only ones that have got standing crops in the area. Mm. might have a chance you know late season so i um i ended up spending 10 days in kansas in november hoping that that big deer out there showed up which he never did and of course while i'm out there i get a picture of this big illinois buck cruising through the farm one more time right on the red moon again Uh, two times two months only time that buck showed up in daylight was on the red moon. I, I, I think I had three days before the Illinois shotgun season opened up and just, there was nothing going on in Kansas. So I threw everything in the truck and rushed over there. You know, it's like a six or seven hour drive, got there, spent three days hoping, you know, he would hang around for one more day. Never saw him again. Mm. Gun season came and went, um, December came and went. We got some occasional pictures of him in December, but it was all, you know, middle of the night, you know, nothing daylight. Yeah. And um, I just, how far were those from where he was daylighting though? Same, same camera or was it a different spot on the farm? No, same, same camera. Okay. Same camera, same spot right there with the, uh, the standing soybeans. Well, it's a good sign though. When, you know, after the rut, you're getting photos of him, even if it's at night, because that means he's, or you know, his core area might have switched and he's around there. Um, yeah. Because you know, if if he was, if he was truly just a nomad and a you know not a resident at all, and and a resident someplace else, uh, and then the the rut ends, you wouldn't think that you'd see him at all anymore. So you must have been getting excited seeing him there, kind of post rut. Yeah. Yeah. No, knowing that he made it through season, you know, yeah. the, the gun seasons, you know, cause I've got a couple of them in Illinois and, um, you know, knowing that he knows that that food's there. Yeah. You know, Cause standing soybeans late season is magic. Hard to get any better than that. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking in the back of my mind, you know, this buck is showing up two times in daylight this season and they've both been on the red moon, you know, mm-hmm. 
Is that a coincidence? Is that a pattern? I got nothing else to go on. So I'm, you know, right. I'm thinking hopefully this is some sort of pattern I can take advantage of. And when, you know, December uh, wraps up, Illinois shuts down, the, I think it shut down the 15th last year, and we had one red moon left the last week of season. So I'm kind of thinking to myself, that might be my opportunity to kind of salvage a season that was, you know, crap. Yeah. Absolutely. Nothing else happened. Nothing else showed up. And um, had to make a decision. Am I going to go to the archery trade show or am, am I going to go to <laughs> Illinois and try uh, <laughs> to fill one tag? I bet so, that's not a hard one. No, no, it wasn't. Um, there was a couple other things, you know, that that had to go right. I had to have the right wind because the direction of travel that that buck was using coming onto the farm had to have a northwest wind. He had to come through the neighboring farm and I knew there were a couple, you know, a couple stands he had to get past to get to me because you didn't think he was betting on you. No, no. Okay. No, he was uh as soon as he crossed onto our farm, he was in crop fields. So but if he was in the woods, he was on the you know neighboring property. Right. Gotcha. And there was, you know, neighbors that knew about that deer. There was neighbors hunting that deer. So I knew everything was going to have to line up, you know, to be able to to get an arrow in this buck. Plus the fact that, you know, with with food sources like that late season, the deer are stacked up in there, you know, and it's tough to go into a, a late season food source and hunt it one night and not blow all the deer out, you know, after dark coming out and tip a big buck off to what's oh, yeah. going on. So I'm thinking I probably got one crack at this, right. you know one chance yep. to get it done because i go in there and heat for some reason he doesn't show up or he comes out right after you know last shooting light or anything and i don't get him killed i'm gonna blow 15 deer out of this field and if he's anywhere near there in january you don't get away with that more than once right you yeah know, it's not gonna happen more than once so i um like i said i needed a northwest wind I knew in the back of my mind, I really needed to stack the deck in my favor and kill him the first night, if at all possible. It's going to get one crack at it. And we weren't getting a northwest wind until the the Friday, end of the week. We had storms. I want to say there might have even been, I don't know if there was rainstorms that week. There was some weird stuff going on. And the weather was just crap all week. But then it was turning cold the end of the week and wind was turning out of the northwest and like, that's my opportunity. If I'm going to get it done, I need to stay out of there until everything's lined up. I drove, uh, actually drove to Illinois on the 12th and stayed at uh, Buddy's place. Got up early the next morning and drove over and got in on that farm midday. I wanted to get in there, you know, plenty early. And wind was right. The moon was right. We got food in there. It was just, you know, everything was lining up for, you know, no, no daylight pictures since December, though. No, no, we didn't have any daylight pictures in December. I did once in October, once in November. Oh, in November. Okay. We had multiple pictures in December. Right. Those were, were all pictures. middle of the night. Yeah. 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 Did you continue to have those nighttime pictures in January? Uh, we did have some early January. And he was kind of getting closer and closer. It's funny when you pay attention 
um, to that sort of thing as far as the moon goes. And the closer that moon gets to hitting in prime time, those those bucks will start showing up closer and closer and closer to, you know, legal shooting time. And that's what he was doing. I was just thinking to myself, man, this is really lining up. It might actually might actually work out. <laughs> so what what happened on the day you actually got in there? You knew you had one shot. Yep, got in there, um, sat for a couple hours, and I don't know, it was probably an hour before dark, and deer just started funneling out. Um, I think I had 11 different bucks, you know, mostly yearling bucks, start piling into the soybeans. And um, they were all coming from, you know, right where that big one had been coming from. And fortunately, with that northwest wind, I, my scent was blown right into the beans. Uh. I had a few lone wolf stands set up on that farm. But for that particular wind and where I was hunting, I couldn't get away with being in a stand. So we had set a, um, a bank's blind up early in the season just in case I needed to be in there and the wind wasn't good. But I knew, you know, if there's deer in these soybeans, they're going to be within 20 yards of me directly yeah. downwind. And this blind was not up on on stilts. It was just sitting on the ground. So there was going to come a point in time where I was going to have to crack the window open and I was going to have multiple deer, you know, inside of 20 yards directly downwind of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. took all the precautions I could. You know, I, I had some had some, uh, you know, cover scent going that I'd sprayed in front of the blind, I had an ozonics in the blind, you know, going I was about, about to ask whether you yep. run an ozone unit in that and, uh, filming myself. So those bucks start filing into the field and, you know, I've got 11 bucks within 30 yards of me all, you know, right down to me, right in front of me. And I looked over and I seen that big one pop out of the woods heading to me. And I was like, man, game on. <laughs> game I can't on. believe it. Can't so- believe it. So late season like that, I've I've never done a ton of late season hunting. I think the latest I've really done anything is around that Thanksgiving time frame. What are you using for a late season scent? Is it because it's not obviously an estrus or a, a buck or anything like that? Is it skunk? Is it possum? Is it something like that? What what's your go to late season? It's deer scent. Just smells like deer. Calming scent. Right. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Just strictly deer snip. Okay. And you Something just want them to, to smell deer. other deer and think it's safe, you know? Right. Yeah. Okay. Because I've used, you turned me on a couple of years ago to Conquest. So I've used like the Evercom. The Evercom. Yeah. On, on my buck decoy when I use a, a buck decoy. But I typically don't use it on myself or anything else like that. It's just, I get that decoy in there put the Evercom on and then spray it with a, a dead downwind or something just in case and double up on that. So, yep. yeah. So this stuff is basically the same thing as Evercom just smells like beer, deer, but it's in a liquid form for hmm. all frozen scents switched okay. from a uh, uh, conquest of them a few years back. And it's basically the same thing, just smells like deer, but it's a liquid form instead of the deodorant stick. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the- he come right in and give you a shot or he tease you for a little while. Well, actually <laughs> I'm glad he came out early because for, I think like 15 minutes, he was either 
facing directly at me and didn't give me a shot <laughs> when he was broadside. I had other bucks in front of him and I couldn't shoot. Yeah. So it was, it was forever before he actually presented a shot. And, um, when he finally did, I did absolutely everything I could to screw this up. <laughs> I had, like I said, I was filming myself and I had my camera set up on a tripod and, you know, you know, you got a giant buck like that in bow range into season. I mean, you're, you're already, you know, on pins you're, you're, and needles. So you're on edge and tens and yeah. And I'm doing everything I can to keep it together. So when I find, when this buck finally turns, I go to crack the window open and didn't even realize that the angle that I had moved my camera, my micro shotgun mics in the way. So I cracked the microphone with the window and immediately (laughs) the buck in front of him is up, you know, looking right at me. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I'm stuck. So I've got to, I've got to lower the window, move the camera, raise the window back up, you know, before I can do anything. And I've got one of these bucks looking at me. And by the time I got that window back up, that buck didn't spook, but he was already bugging out. He was walking off. He knew something was up. And by the, by the time he started moving, the big one was looking my way. So I've got the window open. I finally got the camera on the big deer, you know, and it's, it's, you know, getting to be end of legal time. And then a ground blind, it's pretty darn dark at that point. Yeah, and right. I cannot, for the life of me, find the loop on my string with my release. <laughs> oh. I have done that. It's, I yeah. have done it. It is maddening. Are you yeah. running a, a black, black material? Oh, yeah. All black. Can't so see I, the release. Can't see the string. Can't see the loop. And you know, I'm not using a... I, su- I switched to a flow D-loop material just because of that a couple of years ago. Really? Yep. Yep, flow pink, flow green, flow yellow, yeah. just something bright. Yeah. I swear, I think the, the by the time I missed my loop three times, I was just praying for a miracle. <laughs> and I'll tell you what I did. I actually put my release up against the string, low on, low on the string, and just followed it up till I felt it hit that loop and opened it up and just said a prayer and clipped on. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> clipped on, got drawn back. And by this time, that bucket started walking. He had taken three or four steps and he was getting right to the edge of my um, screen on my camera. And thank God I switched to that Garmin site this past year. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I didn't, yeah. didn't have to range you know, completely eliminated that step, hit that button, ranged him, automatically put the, put the dot right behind his shoulder and let it go. And as soon as it hit, I'm like, I just gut shot this deer right through the middle of the guts. Couldn't oh. blow Heard the pop. Did, and did, he you took feel off. Like, did you feel like the shot was rushed just because of everything that was going on? It just, oh, yeah. that pin, that pin dropped and the finger went. Everything was rushed. Everything was rushed. I was panicking. Yeah, we were just talking about this the other day and, you know, the pressures that we put on ourselves and in your situation there, you're on a dry spell. You haven't, you haven't taken another buck that fall, correct? Yeah. And, and uh, like, you know, your whole season, your whole season hinges on this moment. I couldn't have put any more pressure on myself than what I had on myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Blood pressure through the roof, heart rate going. Trying to self film. And 
when you know having that little fiasco happen where you open the window and you bump the dang mic on the camera and that panic button oh. is sitting right there and that's when you mash it and gosh we were we were just talking about it the other day about how to try to control yourself in situations like that and it's the hardest thing that there is to do but it's you know that excitement's part of why we do it in the first place you know oh, yeah. is yeah, getting right. that that rush and that uh, being on that verge of not being able to control yourself, you know? And so do you feel like you just strictly pulled it or did he take a step forward right at that last second? Well, like I said, he was walking, which I hate taking a walking shot, but I was out of options out of time. I had to do what I had to do. And, you know, that's one of the perfect examples of, you know, why practice is so important because, you don't practice till you get it right. You practice till you can't get it wrong. And yep. there was no time to think, to react, you know, to react. I mean, I just instinctively did what I needed to do. And fortunately, when I went back and watched the footage, because my camera, I'm obviously at a different angle than the camera. He was quartering more than I thought. Mm. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, I think that arrow hit where it needed to do, where it needed and angled up. Uh, where it needed to be. I watched him go about a hundred yards across the field and went into the woods and I played it safe. I didn't go in there that night. I waited till about noon the next day on the off chance that I didn't hit anything but guts and liver when mm -hmm. I gave it plenty of time to expire and he didn't go a hundred yards into the woods and that arrow, even though it did hit guts, you know, hit right in the middle of his stomach, it came out right behind the shoulder on the opposite side. It was perfect shot. You know, he didn't go, 120 yards total, maybe. Right. Nice. Piled up inside the woods and just, man, could not believe I pulled that one off. <laughs> well, he's That's a pretty awesome. buck, man. He's got big, long brow tines and are both of them split? Yeah. Yeah. He got split brows. He had, um, well, just a mass. Couple like of splits on his twos. Yeah. And he's real heavy. He was like yeah. almost seven inches at the bases and carried it out pretty far. And gnarly. That's, yeah. He's just gnarly. Got he's, a, he's a tree destroyer. Yeah, it was good deer, man. Made yeah. my season. That's for sure. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a testament to hanging in there throughout the entire season, staying positive and pay attention to those factors that you know are, are there that you can look on a calendar and, and, and figure out and, by the sounds of it, I mean, it had been two months since you'd had a daylight photo of him. So, and you're, you're coming from, it's not like you're going next door, you know, to the, to the neighboring farm, you're coming from out of state to go ramble right. on one particular time. And yeah. uh, it, it's the fact that you kind of called that, <laughs> well, it, it makes me want to pay a whole lot more, more attention to that moon. There was a lot of things, you know, that came together, you know, obviously, like I said, he'd only shown up twice in season and they were both on the red moon and third time was a charm, you know, all three right on the red moon. But I mean, I think there were things that were just as important, you know, when it came to killing that deer and specifically, you know, not rushing in there, you know, panicking and thinking, you know, I got one or two weeks of season left. I got to get in there and killing, you know, I think yeah. a lot of guys probably would have made the mistake and, and rolled the dice and went in there really before things lined up 
and taking a chance on, you know, not killing him, bumping him out of there. You know, I waited till everything was perfect. And that's, that's kind of really been a, a staple in my, you know, strategy is every, I think everybody would agree the first time you hunt a spot is the best time. Mm-hmm. But I think when it comes to hunting big deer, the toughest part is not hunting them until everything lines up. You know, yep. you just can't get away with making mistakes on these big deer. And if you can have the discipline and the patience to wait for that stuff to line up, you know, and to stack the deck in your favor. Because like I said, I think if I would have went in there the first week of January, you know, thinking I'm running out of time, I got to get in there and get him killed. I, I might not have got it done. Right. Yeah. You know, so waiting for the right wind, waiting for the moon, the weather, everything to line up helped a lot, you know, not rushing it and just being patient and, um, you know, the, having the food in there was a big deal. That deer would have been there if it wouldn't have been for us, you know, leaving some food in there late season with the food plots and the standing beans and, um, yeah, just paying attention to everything, you know, yeah, everything and not giving up. I mean, (laughs) there was a lot of times last season where I was ready to throw in the towel, man. It just, you know, when you have so many things go wrong with these big deer, it's it's easy to think it just ain't going to happen, you know, and, you know, have your tag sandwich and wait till next season. But it ain't over till it's over. Yeah. When, and there's nothing sweeter than shooting one at the last minute. I tell you. <laughs> yeah. When when you look at your red moon, because I've been watching the last couple of years with you, it's it's, you know, a five to six day period. Yep. The, the two previous, so his October and his November appearances, did you look at when in that red moon phase he showed up and what was the wind doing on those occurrences? I did. I looked at everything because I was desperately trying to find some kind of common denominator, some kind of pattern other than just, you know, just the moon. And the wind was different direction. Uh, on the first two times, but he was actually coming from a different direction. One of those times. Gotcha. So then, it um, the same. What's that? His, his, his approach was different because of the wind. So he was always approaching it with a specific wind for where he was coming from. Yeah. The one thing that did stick out to me though, that I've never seen before. And like I said, I've been following the moon for 30 years. I don't know anybody that's paid more attention to, you know, the moon, the phase, the gravitational pull more than I do. And I'd never seen this before, but each time he showed up and it could be coincidence, but it was actually on the underfoot Mm. instead of the overhead, which Mm. like could be coincidence. A lot of the, a lot of the guys that have been following that moon guide forever believe the overhead has a stronger pull because it's closer because you can see it. It's on this side of the planet. Right. I've always been given both equal attention. But I did think that I was kind of odd that the the two times he or three times he showed up, it was all underfoot. So it hmm. probably coincidence. Remind me again, Adam, on some, uh, you know, uh, I know that you've got the moon phase app that you really pay attention to. But there's a bunch of different apps and things like that that put, that talk about moon phase. And they always refer to it as a major and a minor um is the is the overhead considered the major is that what they're talking about and then the minor is the underfoot usually 
No, I'm pretty sure what you're referring to on major and minors, your major movement is going to be the overhead underfoot. Your minor movement periods are your rise and set. Rise and set. So when okay. Rising okay. and setting, it's not quite as strong. Right. But there's, you know, there's significant, there's a significant um, you know, activity, increase in activity, I think, on on the rise and set as well. I just don't think it's quite as strong. Right. But right. Yeah, I would say most of the apps that talk about that, that's what they're referring to. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. And now that I think of it, I I think that you told me about that before and I just forgot. Um, well, man, I can remember ah, man, I remember you from way back in the early 2000s. That like that I think it was a 2003 buck that you killed a monster 200 plus inch deer and I followed you ever since then and you're you are a consistent big deer killer you put a lot of time and effort and energy into it and all of those details that you pay attention to um it's no wonder to me well you got to pay attention to the details and you can never stop learning it was it was interesting i did a uh, seminar at a trade show in indiana this year and i met bobby worthington for the first time Mm -hmm. i'm sure you guys have heard of bobby and um, he's killed a lot of big deer and a lot of guys consider him to be one of the best whitetail hunters in the country. And I'd read all this stuff. I'd never met him. And I spent some time talking to him at the trade show. And it was it was mind blowing how his technique. And I don't, I'm not going to get way off into it, but he's all about hunting November, hunting the best pinch points in an area and just burning it out until a big, the big one comes through that he's waiting on. Yeah. Eventually. Right. It's yeah. The- it's all, all just a waiting game for him. But I mean, it's his strategy is was so polar opposite of what I do, but yet he's figured out what works for him and kills big deer after big deer after big deer consistently following that. And it's just really cool to see how, you know, somebody from a different part of the country can do something completely different and have such great success at it. And what I was able to learn from him, you know, this was my 43rd season bow hunting and I'm still trying to learn stuff every year. And I picked up mm-hmm. some stuff from him because I've always struggled with the rut. You know, I'm always after a specific animal and that's the hardest part of the year to kill one, yeah. you know, yeah. in November. But, the unpredictability. Yeah, Exactly. So, you know, I'm all about hunting them when they're the most predictable and the most patternable, you know, during the season. And he's killing them when they're the least predictable. And to to hear his strategies and how he finds these spots and how he approaches it and how he kills them, you know, like I said, I learned stuff from him this year. You just can never stop learning, you know. Once you stop yeah. learning, I mean, you're done. Just once yep. you think you can never be in that point where you think you know it all. You know, there's always something you could pick up to help help you, you know, kill that next big deer. Well, there's always more than one way to skin a cat. And I mean, whether yeah. we're talking about hunting whitetails or we're just talking about you can take five of the top archers in the country and talk to them about tuning. And you find out real quick, there's more than one way to skin a cat. You yeah, know what I mean? Something has um, worked differently for everybody and they've yeah. just kind of made it their own thing. And that's their style. Five top guys, five different opinions on all kinds of different things, but you're definitely one of the top and we're, we're uh, honored to have you on here and, and want to do it again. Oh yeah. 
He had uh, four bucks here at home that were in that 150 to 160 range. So I'm kind of hoping one of those is going to make a big jump. Yeah. Never know, never know what's going to happen in Illinois. I'd love to see that big eight. Oh show man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you, you need to, you need to go on your Instagram page and post a picture of that thing. I'm curious to see it now too, but anybody listening might want to see what yeah. a 198 point looks like. Well, outstanding, man. I hope that we have another cool story to tell this next year. Um, and hopefully you don't wait until the last day of the season again. You know, <laughs> I know how that feels. I'm no, I'm kind of notorious for it, but yeah, I'd rather not have so much pressure on myself. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Well, we appreciate your time, Adam. Hope everybody enjoyed it and we'll catch you on the next one. All right, guys. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, buddy. Uh,